Hello and welcome to the great inflation versus deflation debate, part 13, March of the Scaffold, Vox's rebuttal. We are approaching the end here, uh, which is very exciting. Um, the this will be in this, the link to this article will be in the description, and uh, so you can follow along. And obviously, the playlist is on BitChute and YouTube, so you can check those out if you want the full thing. Um, so that is very exciting when it it comes out inevitably. Uh, so let's get into it. Wrong image. There we go. Uh, inflation versus deflation. He says nine. We're on 13. Um, I'll start off this last round in the debate by pointing out that I have most certainly not claimed that federal spending somehow doesn't count as inflation. I am simply pointing out that the Federal Reserve's attempt to inject money into the economy has been effectively limited to one delivery vehicle because the banks and housing have been proven to be surprisingly ineffective channels for doing so. Again, Nate inadvertently shows us how his refusal to accept the intrinsic relationship between credit and money uh, renders his analysis incorrect. I very much agree that for the purposes of inflation, it does not matter who's spending the new money. I mean, I agree that government spending is merely the delivery method for injecting it into the economy. But what Nate is failing to mention here is that government spending isn't the only or even the primary delivery method used by the Federal Reserve. The significant thing is that government spending is the only delivery method of the four the Fed has been attempting to utilize in the past five years that has worked at all, despite the largest part of the Fed's efforts being directed at the financial sector that credit sector has continued to shrink. So has the housing sector, despite the attempts to replace the housing uh, sector bubble with an education bubble, the corporate sector has responded a little, but the 1.8 trillion increase in 2008 is barely more than half the contraction in the financial sector. Nate claims prices are rising everywhere across the board uh, and that it doesn't matter where the government spends the new money. Both assertions are incorrect. Gold prices are down 24% since the start of the year. Home prices are up 1.1% in that same time frame, uh, but are still down 29% from their 2006 peak. Gasoline prices are up from January, but have been trending down since the spring of 2012. And the inflation stock market, uh, and the inflated stock market is going is showing every sign of a steep, long overdue price correction. But these are merely symptoms and short-term symptoms at that. I see them as a reflection of the credit disinflation. Nate sees them as a sign of incipient hyperinflation. Only time will tell who was correct, so there is no point in further belaboring the price issue. Uh, nor do I see any point in providing an extended explanation for why Ben Bernanke's appears to be signaling an end to quantitative easing program or the significance of initial indications that Shizo Abe's massive attempt to print money in Japan is failing because Nate took things in a rather different direction with his focus on the idea of, that hyperinflation is a psychological ph phenomenon rather than a material one. Those who are interested can find effective summaries of those two non-significant events on Zero Hedge. Nate wrote, hyperinflation is what happens when people decide that fiat money they have uh, in their pockets and in their accounts is no longer going to be honored in the future and start spending it as quickly as possible. That is the unstoppable train of high, of inflation. Printing presses cannot be stopped because the people will not stop spending the money as soon as they get it. 
put this perspective on hyperinflation again fails to account for credit, uh, which is how most people are spending most of their money these days. Even with uh, literal credit cards, even when literal credit cards aren't involved, they are paying their bills with direct bank deposits and debit cards that draw from their credit money accounts. If one considers the recent report, a uh, reported fact that 68% of Americans possess savings less than $800, that 68% of Americans possess less than $800 in savings, it should be clear that they are simply don't have any fiat in their pockets. Uh, to co- quote the report, after paying debts and taking care of housing, car, and child care related expenses, the respondents said that they just isn't enough money left over for savings, uh, for saving more. Uh, emphasis added. Nate's unstoppable train simply doesn't have enough of an engine to leave the station, especially when the credit money that is in these accounts begins vanishing in the inevitable bail-ins. In considering the possibility of hyperinflation versus the likelihood of deflation, it is important to do something we have not yet done in this debate, which is to examine the differences between the present situation and the most famous historical hyperinflation. Uh, As has been previously noted in the USA, L1 total credit has remained very close to fiat since 2008, increasing only 11.2% in five years. By contrast, in the period leading up to the Weimar hyperinflation, the Reichsbank debt increased from 3 billion to 55 billion marks between 1914 and 1918 and to 110 billion by 1920. Uh, businessmen have found it very profitable to borrow money from the bank and buy up goods, shares, and companies. Uh, their debt would be wiped out within weeks by the rapid hyperinflation and the businessmen remained holding the valuable assets he had bought. The net result was a huge private inflation caused by the rapid expansion of credit. By October 1923, 1% of government income came from taxes and 99% came from the creation of new money. It should be readily apparent that Weimar represented a very different scenario than what we have observed today. We are not uh, seeing an increase in private borrowing, but rather a net con- contraction. This means the only way hyperinflation can even theoretically begin uh, in the present circumstances is if the federal government elects to permit the debtors in the various debt sectors to pay off their debts rather than encouraging them to default by raising interest rates and using the government to begin electronically injecting dozens of trillions of dollars into the economy through mainstream equivalent of food stamp cards. Is it possible? Theoretically, it is. Improbable? I think so. Which brings this entire debate back to the beginning. Uh, which is that one's opinion on hyperinflation versus deflation depends entirely on one's belief of the federal that the Federal Reserve is willing and able to choose the form over the latter, setting aside the fact that there's already those who believe that Bernanke has followed the depression era feds uh, era feds lead in choosing the latter on the basis of cryptic remarks concerning uh, tapering. It is my contention that the Fed is not only unable to massively inflate, but that it is totally unwilling to do so. Nate will have the last word, but since you've indulged this uh, imagination considering the widespread abandonment of the dollar, perhaps you'll indulge me, uh, mine considering the motivations and mindset of the Federal Reserve in the present environment. Inflation and 
hyperinflation benefit borrowers. Deflation benefits lenders as they uh, are repaid increasingly valuable are repaid in increasingly valuable currency. Default also benefits lenders as long as the collateral backing the loan exceeds the value of the outstanding debt. So in closing, I will simply ask you one simple question. At this point in time, is the Federal Reserve a net borrower or a net lender? By way of example, let me propose a hypothetical scenario that is perhaps a little outlandish, if not completely in the zone of economic uh, science fiction. The Sersonian political cycle predicts aristocracy, not tyranny, as the most as the post-democratic political system. And and what would be the most effective way to legally establish a wealthy aristocracy with a relative uh, minimum social disorder than to encourage vast indebtedness, then trigger massive defaults by raising interest rates, uh, which then result in the acquisition of title to all the defaulted collateral. Even the most hardcore libertarian couldn't find any thing to complain about such an action, merely the idiocy of the centralized structure that permitted it to happen, and it would be a damn sight more legal than three-quarters of the activities with which the administration agencies occupy themselves these days. So that wraps that Vox's uh, last thing, and we will go to Nate's last response to uh, wrap this thing up. Thank you for listening.